So this is a little embarrassing to admit, so please don't harass me because I'm very sensitive and I never harass anybody else. Um, that's one of my mottos in life. Uh, anyhow, um, but once I was watching the Oprah show and this was like 10 years ago. Now, that's not something I regularly watched, but I don't know, it was on. So for some reason I was watching it and it was fascinating because she had this show on people whose whole life had changed because of some tragedy. And she was interviewing like this 30 some year old guy, young guy. And his story was this, he was on a plane and I think it was in Hawaii. And the plane was um, just taking off. And as it was taxiing down the um, runway, uh, something goes terribly wrong, there's an explosion. And um, the whole cabin fills with smoke. And uh, I don't know why I just remember this detail. His shoes were off. And at that point, there was just so much smoke, you couldn't tell where the exit was. So he immediately thought he was going to die. But then for some reason, he notices um, where the fuselage was ripped that he could get out. And he said just before he got out, he looked back to the other people who were dying in the plane. And he said, it was amazing. He said, as they died, he swore that he could see their spirits leave. And they said, they, suddenly they just burned with brightness just as they died. And he could see their souls leave. And some of their souls were really bright. Now, he swears that was true. And after that, he said it just cha that changed his life, where he said he promised himself that, wow, like he was never a religious person before, but he decided that when the time comes when he dies, he's going to make sure his soul burns very brightly. So after that, he dedicated himself to doing a lot of good in the world. And so he achieved some sort of fame for goodness in the world, but... Um, uh, it's that tragedy that changed him. And this sounds kind of strange. That story of, you know, you have only so much time so that your soul could burn so bright reminds me of today's gospel. So to explain the parable, just we have to do a little background. So um, the parable about the 10 virgins, it's based on two separate things. So both of them are true. One is a wedding, right? So I mentioned this before, hopefully I'll just kind of go over this. In the Jewish wedding, there's different parts, like um, it starts with this ritual bath of purification, then you put on this wedding dress, that's baptism, then you're anointed, that's confirmation, and then you have this wedding ceremony. And the wedding ceremony, um, it starts by offering a cup of wine to the bride, right? You drink it, uh, that's part of the ceremony, that's the first thing. Now, that's baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. The Eucharist is a wedding feast. But then after the wedding ceremony, this sounds strange, the groom goes away. Uh, I know I've explained this before, this is a review. He goes away and he uh, builds on to the family compound a place for his family. Then he comes back in this torchlight parade with his family and the um, bride, the bride's family is waiting. They're not quite sure when he's going to show up, uh, but they're waiting, and 10 virgins escort him, and they would have flames as well. It's the bride's family. 
So uh, the ten virgins are uh, ushering to the bride, and then they all go back to the wedding feast. Um, so like uh, that, the days where he's separated, building the house, that's called the days of separation. When he comes back, that's called the second coming, where he takes everybody to the wedding feast. So the ten brides have this idea that, wow, you get the image, right? We're, okay, I get this blank stare, so wow. Honest God, I feel like I'm the miracle worker with Helen Keller sometimes. But So the Eucharist is our wedding. But Christ will come back when we die with the saints and escort us to heaven for the great wedding feast. Um, so that's the ten virgins. But there's also another place in Judaism, and that is um, uh, the high priest. Jews had uh, young ladies who were dedicated virgins, and they would do the weaving for the high priest vestments. So um, that sounds kind of strange, but um, one thought was that Mary was a consecrated virgin. And um, like, do you notice Jesus uh, um, at the crucifixion? He has a wedding dress, but he has this seamless garment. Well, the virgins in the temple wore those. Anyhow, so there's an idea that maybe Mary was one of the consecrated virgins and what he he was wearing was what she wove. Because once a year, the high priest would go in, make this sacrifice. Then after he comes out, he would change into this wedding garment and there'd be 10 virgins who would then light the way and they would go to the priest's house for this wedding reception. Um, So... Both of them, that when it mentions the ten virgins, you can either think wedding or sacrifice. And the Last Supper is this wedding. But the last, si- sa- the last Supper is also Jesus the high priest offering himself. Um, so I just, sorry, I just get carried away. I love that. But the high priest or the groom has these ten virgins who are he's going to escort to the wedding feast. And... The point of all that background, if you stayed awake for it, is that story we're acting out right now. Now we're getting married, right? And um, we're waiting for really to be escorted to heaven. But we play the role of the 10 virgins. We're supposed to be lighting the way as bright as we can, um, but we're the virgins. And if you remember in the story, The virgins had one job, one job, and that was to light the way of the groom. But, you know, they all fell asleep, so it means none of them are perfect. But um, they had one job, and that was to make sure he had oil to light the way. So what does oil symbolize? Love. With love, you burn as bright as possible. Um, And so... That's what we're supposed to be spending our life is getting the oil of love so that we burn as bright as possible. But then you get that strange part where you have the 10 foolish ones and the, sorry, the five wise ones and the 10 foolish ones. Um, Why didn't, why couldn't they share the oil with them? Like that seemed kind of mean, right? Why couldn't you just share? Well, think about the plane. When the guy, he can see people burning 
um, their spirits burning bright before they died. Um, but like that didn't set his heart on fire, right? He can't just take somebody else's goodness. It can inspire them, but you have to earn it yourself. Or like I've seen, this has always been a great mystery. I've met some parents who are just great people. Um, how come their children uh, sometimes really aren't that great? Um, my point being is that you can inspire one another, but in the last analysis, um, we shape our own destiny. That um, character can't be transferred. Virtues can't be barred. I can't just lend you a cup of grit or perseverance. You can inspire somebody, but you have to earn it yourself. You have to earn love yourself. Does that make sense? Um, so the wise ones, yeah, they weren't perfect, but they spent their life making sure that they burn bright. And um, like, what is foolishness? Foolishness is majoring in things that are minor about life. The wise, they major in what's most important. Collecting to yourself um, all the virtue, all the love that you can. So the shocking part about the story that Jesus, that all 10 virtue, virgins symbolize religion, right? That, the shocking part about that religion is this wedding between us and God. So the 10 virgins, it's not speaking about, you know, five of them are atheists, yeah, or five of them are, you know, um, you know I don't know, um, atheists or pagans or Canadians. Uh, it's all religious. But some religious people actually spend their lives trying to get as much of the oil of love so they burn as bright. Those are the wise ones. Other people in religion, they minor in what's, or they major in what's minor, the petty things of life, and they never really burn. So I'm going to give you an example of what I mean, and I don't mean to offend anybody. I'm just using a real-life example. Um, however, <laughs> like, our religion is to make sure we burn bright with love, major in what's important. And yet, last week, there's this thing that irritated me here in Coeur d'Alene, is um, at Holy Family Catholic School, somebody put out a video that during Mass... Um, you're not supposed to, um, during Mass, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, you're not supposed to hold your hands like this. Uh, now, here's, here's the truth. I don't care what you do. But to put out a video and say anybody who's doing this is wrong, trust me, I know this. Nowhere does it say that in the rubrics. It doesn't say that you should. It doesn't say that you shouldn't. What it does say is that you're not allowed to mimic any of the priest's presidential prayers, which is like the opening prayer, the closing prayer, the Eucharistic prayer, that's because those are just solely the priest. But the Lord's Prayer, that's our prayer. Literally, our Father should give it away that it's not the priest's prayer, it's the communal prayer we say together. Does that make sense? That's not a presidential prayer. That's a communal prayer. And so... Nowhere in the rubrics does it say you can't or can't. Now, before, I'm getting a little too detailed, but um, when the mass was in Latin, 
uh, the only one who prayed the Lord's Prayer with his hands like this was a priest because the Lord's Prayer was prayed in Latin and he's the only one who knew it. But if you go back to the ancient church, you can literally go to Rome and in these frescoes on the wall, they have like the Virgin Mary and the saints with their hands in the, this gesture because they're all praying the Lord's Prayer together. So you can't come up with this rule that says anybody who's holding their hands like this in the Lord's Prayer is doing it wrong. You're literally accusing the ancients of praying wrong. And here's the thing. What upsets me is not about the liturgy. That's stuff I know. But what upsets me is that now at Mass, you're having Ed look at Kathleen and thinking, oh my gosh, there she is with her hands. And you've now reduced religion into majoring what's petty and minor. That's what the Pharisees did. Um, the Pharisees, they made up all these rules and regulations, right? They'd make up all these rules. And then they would accuse Jesus, you're not doing our rules. The only thing Christ does is the law of love. Does that make sense? So you can't just make up liturgical rules and then condemn people for the stuff you made up. What it distracts us from is the most important. That religion is supposed to teach us how to love. That's why like, that upset me. Not because you can do whatever you want um, in that particular reason. But what you must do is strive to burn with love, not becoming more petty and judgmental. That's not what religion is supposed to do. So if you notice, the foolish, they never did what was most important, burn with love. So the wise can't just give them the oil of love. So they say, you, you gotta go out and get some. And believe me, learning how to love is hard work, especially have you met some people? Um, it's hard work. And so uh, the groom comes, which means it's time to go to the wedding feast, time to die. And they're in the wedding feast, and then they come and they knock on the door. Well, this is true. When the groom would come and take people to the wedding feast, at the time of Christ, at the wedding feast, they would lock the door so that, um, what do you call that when you crash a wedding, wedding crasher? You couldn't do that, so they would lock the doors. So, like, the point being is that you have only so much time to learn love. And then if you notice, they bang on the door, and they say, Lord, Lord, which is religious language. Or another parable, Jesus, um, they'll say, Lord, Lord, we spoke in your name. And Jesus says this several times, where he'll say, and it should scare you, I tell you, I solemnly tell you, we've never met but they spent their whole life in religion, but only things that were petty and judgmental. And then to hear God say, I tell you, I don't even recognize you. You never burned with love, so God doesn't recognize who you are. So let's go back to the guy who's getting off the plane and that changes his life when he sees people's spirits in some burning so bright. He was dedicated to become wise, to spend his life making sure his soul, by the time he died, when he died, it burned really bright. That's what real religion is supposed to teach us. My hope and prayer is that all of us, 
when we're called to the wedding feast of heaven, our souls are, we were wise. We spent our time making sure it burned bright with love. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.